A reading from John 3, 16 to 21 and 8, 12. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness but shall have the light of life. Thank you, Rosemary. I think that many of us go through life afraid of being found out. I think we all go through life with this fear that we're going to be found out. We go through life with this fear that we're going to be exposed. We go through life with this fear that people are going to discover that we're really imposters. That we're really not quite as whatever as perhaps we've led others to believe. Perhaps we're not even quite as whatever as we've led ourselves to believe. And so we go through life with this fear of being found out. This this fear of being exposed. Uh, maybe you're afraid of being found out. Maybe you're afraid of being found out not to be as intelligent as perhaps you've led on to believe or people have thought that you might be. And, and, and so because of this fear that you might be exposed to not be as intelligent as, as, as people maybe think, uh, you hesitate to maybe apply to that college program. Right? You hesitate to apply because, uh, because what if you don't get in? What if they don't accept you? Or, or what if you... What if you join that program and then you, you can't do it? Like you just don't have what it takes and you have to drop out and then you have to face the embarrassment of having to tell people around you that you didn't, you didn't have what it took. You know, it's easier to just not apply, right? Then, then, you know, it could be like, well, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot better for people to say, boy, he had potential that he didn't use than to say, well, I guess he didn't have as much potential as I thought. Maybe you're afraid of being found out at work. You're afraid of being exposed. So same thing. You don't, you don't apply for that upper level management position because if you did so, well, you might not get it. And even if you did get it, then you'd be faced with all kinds of new challenges, all kinds of new difficulties that what if you, what if you weren't able to do it? Again, it would be better to just you know, have people think, well, he could have done it. He just didn't want to. But if you go for it and, and you can't do it, then you get exposed. Or we all have this fear of, of being of being found out, right? Maybe you have this fear of, of being found out to be not very athletic. So you don't, you don't try out for your school volleyball team or whatever, your school cheerleading team. You, you, just don't, 
You don't do it because you don't want to be exposed. And some of us maybe live in fear of being found out to not be as good a parent as maybe we'd let on. And your kid acts up and all of a sudden, no, now everybody knows what I'm really, you know. Some of us, some of us have this fear of being found out not to be as beautiful as maybe we've led on to believe. Some of us, boy, I, I would never go to the beach, right? Wouldn't want to wear a swimsuit, wouldn't want anybody to see me and see that I'm not as beautiful. As maybe I'd hope people would think. We, we all have this fear of being found out, this fear of being exposed. We're continuing in our series, which we just started last week, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. And we've titled this series, Jesus 101. And we're just looking at who is Jesus, and we figure one of the best ways to see who Jesus was is to see what he said about himself. So we're looking at these I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven of these I am statements, and seven biblically was a number of completion. So the idea is as we study these I am's of Jesus, that we'll have a good, a full, a better understanding of who Jesus is. And we started last week, and we looked at the first I am statement, which was I am the bread of life. And what we discovered, what really emerged in last week's message was this basic truth where Jesus is saying to us, he's saying what you need isn't what I have, it's who I am. Ultimately, what you need in life isn't what I have, it's, it's who I am. And, of course, we looked at the, uh, the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and where Jesus takes a small amount of food and miraculously feeds thousands of people. And, and in that, we saw that, that Jesus demonstrates that he clearly has enough to deal with whatever challenges you're facing in your daily life. That Jesus, as the incarnation, as the embodiment of God himself, has the entire uh, arsenal or resources of heaven at his disposal. And so whatever challenges you're facing at work, in your marriage, whatever it is, he has more than enough to deal with that. But what we discovered is that even if he does deal with it, even if he does deal with your marital problems and your financial problems and your career problems, even if he deals with all of that, which he has more than enough resources to do so, even though he has more than enough, even when he does, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. Even though he has more than enough to deal with your daily needs, when he does, it won't be enough. Because in the end, what we discover, there's still something missing. Even if you have everything, even if all of your financial problems go away and, and your marriage problems go away and, and, and you get that dream job and that, that dream whatever, there's still something missing. And Jesus is saying the reason for this is that ultimately, what you don't need what I have, you need who I am. And so we see this invitation at the beginning of these I am statements, it's an invitation saying, you can come to know me, you can come to know God in a personal way, and and that is where you can begin to find satisfaction for your deepest longings. But you can come to know God, this is the heart of the Christian faith, that through Jesus we can really come to know God in this personal way. But as we come to our passage today, we discover that there's something frightening about coming to know Jesus. There's something that gives us pause, causes causes us to hesitate. I I think even if we don't know that much about Christianity, maybe you're here today and you're not 
you don't really know a lot about it, you're not really sure. I think even if we don't know that much about Christianity, we still have this sort of intuitive sense that there's something a little bit frightening about pursuing Christianity and pursuing Jesus. And, and, and this, this passage backs it up. And there's something a little bit frightening about coming to, to know Jesus. And here's what it is. Here's what emerges from this passage. And that is that you can't come to know Jesus without yourself being made known. You can't be exposed to Jesus without yourself being exposed. You can come to know about Jesus. You can come to know about God. We've talked about this before. You can be somebody who comes to know a lot about the Bible, knows a lot about God, knows knows a lot about what what the Bible says. You can know a lot about God. You can go through Bible studies and seminary and training for 30 years and know a lot about God, but but it leaves yourself personally untouched. There's a distance there. But if you actually come to know God and actually come to know Jesus, you can't do that without yourself also being made known. You can't be exposed to Jesus without yourself also being exposed. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, if you come to know me, you can't come to know me, you can't be exposed to me without me exposing who you are. And of course, when we get exposed to to Jesus, right, so so, so then we we have this fear. Here's how it works. So the world can expose our deficiency in intellect. The world can expose our deficiency in talent and ability. Uh, The world can expose our deficiency in physical beauty. But what Jesus exposes is our deficiency of heart. You see, Jesus doesn't expose your lack of physical beauty. He exposes your insecurity about your physical beauty. Jesus doesn't expose your lack of intellect. He exposes your insecurity or your pride with regards to your intellect. You see, he exposes who you are in your very core. He exposes your selfishness. Uh, He exposes uh, your lust and your pride and and your lack of faithfulness and your bitterness and Right? He exposes the very core of who you are. And so there's this sense in which I think it's even more frightening to be exposed by Jesus than to be exposed by the world because we all recognize, at least to a certain extent, that, I mean, we're all a little bit trivial, but still we recognize that what the world exposes is relatively superficial, but what Jesus exposes is at the very core of who we are. And so what do we do? Well, we avoid. We avoid Jesus. And we avoid the light that he shines into us. Now, I want to to discuss four ways in which we avoid the light that Jesus shines into our lives. First of all, we avoid the light by extinguishing it. By turning it off. 
uh, you just turn the light off. So you don't expose yourself to the light, you don't expose others to the light. We basically have this attitude that says, well, I'll keep to myself, you keep to yourself. Uh, you know, who I am is my business and nobody else's business, and who you are is your business and nobody else's business. Uh, and so you just keep to yourself and I'll keep to myself and then we'll, everything will be fine. The problem is everything isn't fine. Because the problem is, is that uh, just because you can't see one another doesn't mean they're not there. And, 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 and even though you can't see them, in fact, the fact that you can't see them means that you can't see when you're bumping into them and walking over them and tripping on them. You see, uh, if you can't see somebody physically, then you're much more likely to hurt them physically. You know, you know what it's like when the lights go out in your house and and all of a sudden you're tripping over, oh, sorry, honey, I right? didn't mean to step on your face, you know, and the lights go out, and, and you accidentally hurt one another physically, right? If you can't see one another physically, then you're much more likely to hurt one another physically. But if you can't see one another spiritually, you see, you're much more likely to hurt one another spiritually. But this is what we do. We, uh, we avoid the light by, by you know, just, just turning it off, extinguishing it. You keep to yourself, I'll keep to myself. That's one way in which we avoid the light, extinguishing the light. Uh, another way in which we avoid the light is by projecting the light onto other people. In other words, we take the light and we, we turn it away from ourselves and onto others. And, and when you do that, when you take the light and... And instead of shining it on yourself, you turn it and you shine it on others, then not only can you see them, but they can't see you. Have you ever notice this? If you're outside and it's dark and you have a flashlight, or if somebody is shining a light on you, and you take that light and you turn it around and you shine it in their face, now you can see them, but they can't see you. Isn't that convenient? And so what do we do? We take the light and we shine it on others. In other words, we criticize others. We just look at the faults of others. We shine the light in on others and we see their lack of faithfulness and their lack of gentleness and we see their selfishness and we just shine the light on them. And, and so if you find yourself, if you're the kind of person who, who tends to be more critical of other people than you are of yourself, you've got to realize what you're doing. You're walking away from the light. You're projecting the light onto others. If we spend more of our energy judging and criticizing others than we are of ourselves, we're projecting the light onto them. Another way of putting this is, is do, you, do you have a tendency to criticize your neighbor more than you confess to your neighbor? You see, people who walk in the light, they, they actually do a whole lot more confessing to their neighbor than they do judging their neighbor. But if we want to avoid the light, this is one of the ways that we, we do it. Right? We take it and we, we turn it away from us and we project it onto them. So we avoid the light by extinguishing it and by projecting it onto others. And third, we, we avoid the light by distorting the light. And in this way, what we do is, is, is the light, we have the light shining on us, um, but we put, we put glasses on that have lenses that screen out certain colors of light. I, I remember I had this toy growing up where you had like these cards with images on them. And then you, if you put on these glasses that screened out the red light, then it, it muted all of the red in the picture, something like this. I don't really know how light works. You'll have to ask uh, Nathan Dietrich. He's a light guy. But it's something like this. You put, you put the glasses on and it would mute the red and it would completely change what you saw on that card. 
You see, this is what we do. If, if, if different kinds of light expose different aspects of our sin, then what we do is we put glasses on that block out the light that exposes the things that we really deal with. Well, let me give you an example here. So let us imagine here that you, um, you have been married for 25, 30 years, been completely faithful to your spouse. You've been committed. Uh, but uh, you wouldn't give money to help your starving grandmother. Your neighbor, on the other hand, uh, you see your neighbor... And they, you know, uh, they've been married 25 times. And, uh, you know, every three weeks, you know, she has a, a, different, a different guy over there. And she just kind of lives however, right, you know. But here's what, here's what you do. Here's what we do. We, we take, well, let's put it this way. Let, let's look at both of our situations. If, if the light in its purity were to shine on us, Jesus would say, hey, look. You know, both of you have issues here. Right? Uh, the person who, who you know, the person who's who's living free and just kind of you know in terms of relationships is careless or whatever you know maybe they do that but but they they're incredibly generous with their money right so it's the complete opposite uh, you you're incredibly faithful in your relationships but you're not very generous with your money uh, they are incredibly generous with their money to others to giving to the poor helping out and whatever. But they're, you know, they got some issues in terms of their relationships. And, of course, if Jesus were to shine the light on, he'd say, look, there's both things that you need to deal with. But what we do is we take our glasses, and so you'd take yours, and you'd put them on, and what it would do is it would screen out the light that is shining on you and showing your lack of generosity. And so all that you see, all that you see is their lack of, of faithfulness in relationships. That's all you see. And, and, of course, they do the same thing, right? They put on the glasses uh, where all it screens out their, their own relationship issues. Uh, it screens that out, and then all they see is your lack of generosity. You see the danger here. I mean, another one, maybe, again, maybe you're the kind of person who, um, when you make a commitment, you stick to it. Uh, but when you have conversation with people, you're not always not always very sensitive, and, and gentleness is not necessarily one of your strong points. Okay, but, but then you've got a friend who, uh, they're very good at being gentle and, and, and careful with their words and how they speak to one another, uh, but you couldn't count on them to show up to their own funeral. Thank you, Jenny. I thought that was funny, too. So what do we do? We put on these glasses. We put on these glasses. You, you put on the glasses... Right, that, that screen out the importance of, of being gentle in your conversation with, with one another. And, and all you see is their lack of commitment and faithfulness. And what do they do? They do the same thing. They, they put on different glasses, which screen out uh, the importance of faithfulness. And all they see is your harshness and your inability to communicate uh, with grace and all of that. Right? So what are we doing? We're distorting the light. The third way in which we avoid the light. First way is we extinguish the light. Secondly, we project the light onto others. The third way in which we avoid the light is by distorting the light. And the fourth way in which we avoid the light is by uh, deflecting the light. Deflecting the light. This is like the light is shining on you and you take a mirror and, and, and it, you, know, you deflect it. And the way we deflect the light is by making excuses. 
we make excuses. Right? We justify ourselves. So we say things like, well, the reason that I yelled at you is because you aggravated me. Right? So it's shining on, but then you deflect it. You have an excuse. You have a reason why you did it. You, you justify that. Right? The, the, reason, uh, the reason why I snapped at you is because you've been doing this for blah, 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 blah. Right? But it's an excuse. You're justifying what you, what you did. One of the, one of the great uh, words of justification and excuse making, one of the great words that we use that deflects the light is the word but. Honey, I am really, really, really sorry for what I did. But, blah, 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 here's why. Honey, I'm really sorry I did X, but, but here's what you did. Right? But is the big deflector word. So this is how we avoid the light. We avoid the light by extinguishing it, by projecting it on others, by distorting it, and by deflecting it. And why do we do this? Why do we avoid the light? Of course, we've already seen why. We avoid the light because we are afraid of being exposed. We're afraid of being found out. And and we say to ourselves, what would people think? What would people think if they really knew this about me? See, so, so, so this hinders us from really being able to engage in relationships and engage in community. We, we have to keep everybody at arm's, at arm's length, right? You can't, you can't get too close. You can't let anybody in because what if they really saw what you were like? This is what hinders some of us from, from getting involved in a, in a small group, a community group. This is what, what, what hinders some of us from sharing in our community group is, is we're thinking to ourselves, well, 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 what if, if I really let them know what's going on in my marriage, if I really let them know the kinds of things that I'm struggling with personally on my own, I mean, if I really let them know, I mean, what would they think? I mean, some of it's even like, we don't even want to say it because we're not even sure what we would think if we said it aloud. So we're afraid of being found out. You know, it's, it's like when, when, the, when the basement is messy and it's like, not only you don't want to let anybody in there, but you don't even want to go in there because you don't even want to face it because you just don't want to be found out. And, and I think then even at the core of this question is, if I get this out, what will God think of this? Of course, this is where we get to the very heart of the gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The very heart of the gospel is that as Jesus shines his light on us and exposes us in all of our frailty, the very heart of the gospel is that he accepts us and he welcomes us despite our failures. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, you come to realize that when the light starts to shine in you. You see, if, if, if the light of Jesus is really allowed into our lives, into your, your husband's life, your friend's life, it's, it's really allowed into every corner of our world, what we discover is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
but are justified freely because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. The very heart of the Christian faith is that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And so I want to say to you that no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter how deep it is, no matter how deep it is in your life that you're just like, I could never let this out. The very heart of the gospel is that no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, if you will just confess and allow that to come before the light, God in his grace will forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. In fact, the only people that Christ doesn't accept are those who aren't willing to confess. Those who aren't willing to to, to let this out and allow themselves to be exposed. But we can do this because we know that he loves us no matter what, no matter what anybody else thinks. So you see, this changes the way community takes place in a gospel-centered church. I just recently took a group of people through our church orientation class where we look at, you know, what is our church all about and, and vision and all of this, and we look at our core values. And one of our core values is being gospel-centered. A core value is, 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 is something that permeates everything that we do. It's not something that is part of what we do. It undergirds everything that we do. That's what a value is. And so we talked about the value of being gospel-centered, and we looked at what does gospel-centered community look like. And what we saw is that it's a community in which people can be authentic. People can step into the light. They can expose what's really going on in their lives without fear of condemnation. Without fear of being judged, they can come forth and honestly say, this is where I am. But because Jesus died on the cross and forgave us of our sin, that we all come and we welcome and we accept one another. Jesus died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be afraid to expose what's going on in our lives. But you know, there's another reason why we don't expose what's going on in our lives. There's another reason. It's not just that we're afraid of being found out. There's another reason why we hesitate to expose what's going on in our lives, and that's simply this. We don't expose what's going on in our lives because we are afraid that we might have to give it up. You see, we're afraid we might have to give it up. Right? If, if, I, if I let this out, well then, well then, and the problem is, here's the thing, we love our sin. We love it. Verse 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light. Now, when the Bible talks about darkness, we can understand it at a couple of different levels. On one level, when it talks about darkness, it's simply talking about uh, that which conceals our evil deeds. That's what we've been talking about. That's the primary context in which John uses it. Darkness is that which conceals, which hides our evil deeds. But what we can also find throughout the Bible is that the darkness actually also is another way of talking about our sin itself. So, though John's primary point here is that we like the darkness because it hides our sin, 
he is also getting at this reality that we actually love our sin as well. So another reason why we don't want to give it up is because, or another reason why we don't want to expose it is because we're afraid we'll have to give it up. For we love our selfishness, don't we? We don't want to have to give up our selfishness. We like the things that we, we like, you know, keeping it to ourselves. We, we like our lust. You know, we like that. We, we like being able to entertain that entire area of our life. We, we, we enjoy that. We don't want to give that up. But we enjoy our pride. We like it. We like, we like having a superior attitude. We like looking down on other people and criticizing them. And, you know, it gives us life. I don't want to give that up. In a weird way, we even like our bitterness. We, we like it. It's like, it's like become a part of us. And so, so there's this, we say to ourselves, I, I can't give this up, right? If I give this up, I'm, you know, that, that, that would suck the life out of me if I gave this up. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Because what the resurrection of Jesus shows us, it shows us that Jesus... Well, it shows us that Jesus not only is the embodiment of God himself, it not only vindicates his claims on who he is, it not only vindicates that he is an authority on moral wisdom, it also vindicates that he is the authority on existential wisdom. It shows us that he's not only authority on the truth, but he's also an authority on that which leads to life. You see, what Jesus' resurrection points to is the reality of eternal life, the fullness of life. And so what Jesus is saying is, is, is it obedience to me? You see, that's what leads to life. And you see that when you see me on the third day rising from the grave. That is your vindication. That's what shows that obedience to me leads to life, even in those moments and those times when it seems like it wouldn't. Even in those times when it seems like my sinful ways, those ways which go against what I know Jesus would want me to do, even in those times when it seems like that leads to life, we need to look at the resurrection and say, no, there is a different way that leads to life. Even in those moments when it seems like what this, you know, giving this up would kill us, we've got to remember that Jesus died. He went to the cross. He's not saying that following me is easy. He's not saying that giving up these these, these behaviors and patterns that we've come to love, that that's something that's easy. He's saying, but when you do it, it might even hurt. It might be quite painful, but ultimately it leads to life. In the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, I share this quote at least once a year, but it's worth it. It's not a quote, this, this story. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis paints for us a a fictional picture of heaven. And he describes these tourists who are on a tour of heaven. And the narrator is one of the tourists in heaven. And one of the things that the narrator notices as he's going through heaven is that he's like a ghost compared to heaven. I mean, heaven is so real compared to him that he's like a ghost. So as he walks around uh, heaven, uh, like he can't even make the grass move. Uh, and he can see through his feet, and he goes over to a stream, and the stream is flowing. It's the middle of summer, but when he tries to step on it, it's like it's as hard as ice because he's just not real enough for it. And then there's this one scene where 
uh, he, he looks out and he sees an exchange between an angel of heaven and another tourist. And uh, this, this tourist seems to be quite agitated. He's kind of scurrying along, and, and he's a ghost as well. And, and uh, w- what he notices is that this tourist has a little red lizard on his shoulder. And this little red lizard just keeps yapping in his ear, just keep y- and he keeps telling it to try to be quiet, and he's kind of scurrying along. And, and, and the, the angel comes up to him and, and says, you know, can I help you or whatever, what's going on? And, and the ghost says, oh, my, my lizard, he just, I told him to be quiet, but he won't be quiet. I just have to get out of here. I got to get out of here. This, this just isn't working, you know. And, and, and the angel says to him, he says, well, would you like me to quiet the lizard for you? He says, well, yes, I, that would be great if you would quiet the lizard. And the angel, I think, he, I care, it's been a while since I read it, but I think he like pulls out a sword and comes up with flame and he goes up and, and the ghost is like, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's going to hurt. And the angel says to the ghost, he says, listen, I can quiet it, but I'm going to have to kill it. And the ghost is like, oh, no, 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 you, oh, you can't kill it. That would hurt me. That would kill me if you killed that. And he's like, that's, that's it. I mean, I'm going to quiet. I have to kill it. And the ghost is, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. And finally, the ghost is like, okay, fine, just do it. And the angel comes over, and he grabs a hold of the lizard, and he rips it off this man, this ghost, and, the go- and throws it to the floor. And, and the ghost falls to the ground, screaming in pain. But then something happens. The ghost begins to change and starts to turn into a human being. First his legs, then his arms and his hands and then his head. And he goes from being a ghost, turns into a full, a full human being. And, 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 and then the lizard actually, it looks like it's dead, but then it starts to change and it grows. And it, it turns into this beautiful stallion. And the man, the human who once was a ghost, climbs up on the stallion and rides off into the foothills of heaven. Is that not a beautiful imagery of what happens when we step into the light? What Jesus is saying, when you you look at the resurrection, you look at the fact that I rose from the grave, what you know is that if you follow me and you allow me to work in your life and to, and, and to pull you away from those things in your life that you are stuck in. He's saying, this will lead to life. It might be painful, but it will lead to life. So let me ask you this question. What are you holding on to? What is that lizard in your life? What is that lizard? Is, is it some sort of selfishness that you just, you just don't want to give up? Is it some sort of lust? that you've started to get into and, 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 and you just you don't want to give it up, right? And you know you, it's, it's there, and you, but you don't want to give it up. Is, is it some sort of bitterness in you? What is it? What is that lizard that's there? Part of the gospel is that if you will bring that out, if you will allow that to be exposed, Jesus brings life. He, he came not to condemn. He came to save us. So in conclusion, let me just ask you this. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of the light? Why are you afraid of being exposed? Are you afraid of being exposed because you're afraid of being found out? You're afraid of what others would think of you? You're afraid of what you think of yourself? You're afraid of what God would think of you? 
Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sin that we might be accepted no matter what we have done. Maybe you're afraid because you don't want to let go. You've come to find life in that that thing. At the heart of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the grave. And that if we seek to allow him to work in our lives and to bring change, this leads to life. This is why in our community groups, we seek to establish a community that, that not only is accepting of us no matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, It's a culture of acceptance, but it's also a culture in which we encourage one another to grow. It's not simply, hey, let's all get together and and we're all terrible, right? That's where it starts, absolutely. We all come together no matter what you've done. God loves us, and and that isn't what saves us. We're saved on the basis of his grace, and so we accept one another. But then when we come together, we say, you know what? I want to change. I want to grow. I don't want to stay here. What are you afraid of? Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning. We know we can't hide anything from you. We think we can, but we know we can't, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would work mightily in this church mightily in the hearts of each one of us. That you would give us the courage that only comes from you, the courage that comes from humility, the courage that comes from a humility that says, I need help. I want my life to be different. I know that life is found in you and in nothing else. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to step into the light. We pray this in Jesus' name.